Hey, listener, heads up this week. This is an R-rated edition of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. So please refrain from listening with little ones. Pod Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you. Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Hallelujah! Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 32 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about The Ref. That 1994 Dennis Leary black dark comedy uh, was based on a story by Marie Weiss, a screenplay by Richard Lagravenes and Marie Weiss, uh, who was actually his sister-in-law. And it was directed by Ted Demi. The one sentence plot for this one is a cat burglar is forced to take a bickering, dysfunctional family hostage on Christmas Eve. You know what? That's pretty accurate. I think I think that it sounds is. like a better one one sentence summary than uh, Frosty the Snowman did, which <laughs> made it sound like a horror film. Mike, what's your feel on Dennis Leary? You know, Dennis Leary, this movie is 94. He he has cure, No Cure for Cancer comes out in 93. This is like the height of him being on MTV. I don't know if you remember like the black and white oh, yeah. shorts, which actually were directed by Ted Demi. That's how they first started to work together. He did the video recording of No Cure for Cancer, like the, the video taping of the uh, of that of that album. Anywho. Um, so, you know, I, I was I was what? 15 16 you know in that in that time period dennis leary spoke to my soul asshole i, I mean i was just playing it this week i it, yeah. it, it has stayed in my memory i i a s s h o l e everybody like i sing it regularly whenever when someone like annoys me i was i was teaching it to tom <laughs> don't tell anyone don't tell anyone but like i was playing with them and i was laughing and yeah i i, mean, I refer to coming deep from the subcockles all the time so <laughs> I, I everything about his delivery the ramp up he had such a specific ramp up which you get to see in this movie too all of that still works for me this movie made me laugh as much as it uh, now at 43 in 2021 as it did when i for sure saw it in the movie theaters back in march this movie came out march 11th 1994 so definitely not a christmas release window not in anything release window this is a right. movie set for failure and it was a bo- <laughs> it was, and it was a box office bomb uh yeah, yeah I, I, but i was there like Day one for sure really? was there. I because I found him so funny. So do you watch this like more often, like year by year? Is this a Christmas movie for you when you're when you're sitting down traditionally? No, not at all. I, I don't think I've actually probably watched this probably since I saw it in the movie theaters. So this was my very first time seeing it. I had no idea what this movie was going to be about. Although I kind of knew there was a bickering couple, and I was pretty sure that there were some strange circumstances where Dennis Leary was going to have to play essentially the ref right right well so that's actually a little bit of how this movie actually comes together uh marie weiss and and richard la it's an italian name it's a tough last name la gravenese 
That's what we'll go with. La Gravanese. So okay. <laughs> uh, they they are both Italians married into Jewish families. And this movie is a reflection of their experience with their large family gatherings at the holidays. High tempers and, and just lots of everything that you and I have talked a bunch about in several of these movies happens at Christmas time. I mean, Bad Mom's Christmas was all around this idea. Families are hard. Families become even harder at Christmas time. So... I guess Maurice says to Richard, wouldn't it be funny if we had, if there was a ref or a referee that could come and just take sides in an argument, you know, when, when the couple is fighting a third person just to come and say, you're right or you're right. I love it. I, and you know, Dennis Leary is perfection as Gus. I also remember him from the nineties. He was a favorite comic of mine and just was like, just like perfect for our age group, I guess, at that time. I feel like he was like, yes, this is exactly the type of like irreverent humor, like nastiness. Like, I don't know. That's just what I was looking for. Well, you know, it's, it's, I'm, see, I'm going to take up, obje- I'm going to take exception to the nasty. I don't think I don't think it's nasty as much as it is like bitter and angry at the world all the time. Okay, but I'm gonna say he was like a huge, huge like opposite day from like Jerry Seinfeld, who's also very popular of the day. So so I'm saying and and he wasn't like Sam Kennison who would have come before him, who was like nasty, but he like wasn't meant for our age group at that time, you know what I'm saying? So like Dennis was like was like that type of humor though for our age. He's a George Carlin-like comic who, you know, mm. observational humor, who has no patience for dumb people. And after him, even though he he seems older than Dennis Leary, like like a Lewis Black type kind of comic where yeah. all, their whole humor is, I'm always angry. I'm always bitter. I hate stupid people. But Carlin never had that, like, you know, that, like, where, like, the tension in his neck, no. like, you know, Kinnison would get and, yeah. like, Leary gets, you know, where you can just, like, see the, the rage of the, the, the comment coming out of their throat. Like, that's a whole different level. It is. And Sam Kinnison is actually a really good comparison to him. You know, Dennis Leary is so much a part of that early 90s mm-hmm. when Gen Xers were in their 20s and was ready to just dominate the world for the next. 30 years you know or at least they thought they were going to when we have we were all wearing flannel you know in utero nirvana's final album you know has come out this actually this movie comes out just like three weeks before kurt cobain passes away you know like this is the height of of gen x culture and dennis leary is a huge huge part of that you know somebody who's not a huge part of that history for me who judy davis I could not place her. <laughs> she seems like a she. Oh, she looks like she could be a cousin for Catherine O'Hara at this. Oh, time. see, I thought she was a poor man's Annette Benning. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 That's a but very like, good poor man's. Like, yeah. like you got the Cabbage Patch Kid, and this was like the like lettuce head kid. <laughs> No, that is a really good call. That that's much better. I was thinking of like the kind of Bobby haircut, you know, mm-hmm. like like Beetlejuice, Catherine O'Hara, like little, kind of. But yeah. like the nut bending is a really good, really good call. A little Sigourney Weaver action is in there too. The makeup on her, oh my god, it was so nineties. It was like making my stomach hurt. That matte like dark lipstick and everything anyway she plays caroline the wife in this which let me just tell you (laughs) i think the amount of times that they say caroline in this movie i have never experienced my name being said so many times i don't think that 
anyone else's name combined is said as much as her name is said. No. No, I mean, and, and as someone who, as someone who says your name a lot because of the amount that we podcast together, it was startling even for me. I gotta <laughs> tell you, I was watching this movie. I again, I watched it with Tom. Don't tell anyone, and and you know, Tom knows you obviously. And mm-hmm. I turned to him at one point and I said, "This movie is going to make Caroline feel very uneasy uh, with her name <laughs> being said so many times and with such stress and anxiety yeah. attached to it." I said, it's, "Caroline is not always like, yelled like Caroline." Yeah, yeah when you see when your name Mike or Michael. You get used, you become desensitized at a very young age to hearing your name in all sorts of ways, good, oh. bad, and indifferent. I, you know, a funny, you, know, you want to hear a little funny trivia about Caroline? Sure. Kevin Spacey, who plays uh, Lloyd, Caroline's husband in this movie, uh, he's he's still five years away from the world knowing Kevin Spacey because of, Amer- of American Beauty, which comes out in 1999 that I, I believe he wins the Academy Award for. And years before he's, you know, canceled and, and revealed to be a horrible person. Anywho, his wife in American Beauty is named Caroline, but with a Y, a Y and no E. It's Carolyn. Oh, is it? But I, I think they call her Caroline in that movie, though. I think they call her Carolyn. It's definitely Carolyn in that movie. But but here's the weird thing. In this one, it's definitely Caroline. But what's so strange about it is when Christine Baranski says it for the first time, she says Carolyn. And I was like, my ear was like, what? I was like, I instantly hate Christine Baranski in this one because she doesn't even get the woman's name right. To be fair, though, if you listen to all the times that I've said your name, there is a couple times where my my mouth gets my throat gets caught. And I've said like butchered versions of Caroline, too. Um, I don't know what you're saying, to be fair, like uh, as if they don't have like a like a way to cut and like re-say the line. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But, but isn't that that's, I mean, I'm so happy you brought up Christine Baranski because... I, I saw her. I had forgotten she was in this movie. Actually, I remember it was such a small role. Coming back, coming back to this movie, there was a ton that I remembered as I was watching it. Like the lines were coming up in my head. And now again, I haven't seen this movie in almost thirty years, and that's how like much of a mark it had made on me. Wow, I had totally forgotten she was in this movie. But I saw her, and I said, "God damn, Christine Baranti! She's like the queen of Christmas movies." I yeah. think this is the third time we've now covered her in this podcast. Yeah, yes. Um, but if we go back, she was in Grinch, you guys, and then also in Bad Moms. Yep, there you go. And Bad Moms, again, a movie where she's playing a stress inducer in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, she's not Mama yes. Chasseur, but, you know, she's a stress inducer all on her own. <laughs> oh, I, before we move off of Dennis Slayer, because there is probably a lot of young people who are watching this or maybe not so young, but there are people in their 20s watching this movie and and maybe they're like, I don't get this because you don't have comics like Dennis Leary anymore. Not really. And if they are, they're from this age. You know, they are in their 40s and way above their 40s. Most of them are going to be in their 50s and way above. You know, I think I think that's fair. Like culture these days just doesn't, isn't, there isn't room for the Dennis Leary's of the world. So, I was watching this, and the final lines of dialogue in this movie, I think, are the perfect encapsulation of why was Dennis Leary famous? What was his shtick? Gussie? What? When are we going to open presents? Presents? Is that what you said? Presents? 
I'll tell you what, as soon as we get back, we're gonna open the present. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, I'll save it the trouble. Your present is a giant fucking cannon, okay? And when we get back, you're gonna crawl into it, okay? I'm gonna put two pounds of gunpowder in there, I'm gonna light it up, and I'm gonna shoot you right out of fucking Jersey, okay? And then I'm gonna steal a car and drive to Jersey and pick up all the little fucking pieces of your body, put them in a big plastic bag, bring them back to my house, put them in the fireplace, light them on fire, I'm gonna sit down with a glass of whiskey and watch the Charlie Brown special with your ashes hitting my fucking house! What? What's that smell? Shut up. Right there. That whole vibe, the the patter, the, the ramp up. The bitingness, the yeah. The bitingness, the ramp up. Like, that was his, that was his cadence. Yeah. But you know what? I missed that in this movie. Like, I feel like there wasn't enough of his moments no. yeah. in here because there was plenty of opportunities for him to lose his patience with these people. He had another technique where he would speak really softly and and you hear it and I didn't pull the clip for it. You hear it when he first hijacks them and they get in the car and he's uh he's doing his whole you be quiet. I've got the gun. When I've got the gun and you don't have the gun, I am the one who talks. You don't talk. Simple equation. Like that that yeah. was the other Dennis Leary cadence. He didn't right. use it as much. It wasn't as what he was as well known for, but it's what he employs in this movie frequently. You know, when he's telling people to shut up, he tells Connie just to sit down. It, that is the other side of Dennis Leary where it wasn't the full ramp up where you feel. I just listening to that clip, Caroline, like yes. my blood pressure has increased. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but, you know, because you start kind of like going along with it and it pulses you know, faster and faster. Maybe uh, you need to see Dr. Wong. Maybe he would help you get a handle on your stress. I love I love B.D. Wong so fucking yes. much. I love him. <laughs> love, love, love him. You know, he's actually uncredited in this movie. So, really? yeah. So you either know who B.D. Wong is. You know, I, I feel like I'm sticking back to his career. I did not look up his IMDb, but I know Jurassic Park is out probably in 93 i think the first jurassic park comes out and he's in there so people watching this movie are like oh that's bd wong but he's still years away from like law and order and other big projects where people know him from uh, i've actually had some lovely interactions with him on social media over the years he's very responsive to fans and people like writing comments i love him he always makes the thing better and i think this whole marriage counselor scene i mean we have to talk about this opening of this movie what did you think the latin song and what the house beat that kicks in and there's people talking about <laughs> about the missing baby Jesus who steals a baby Jesus from a lawn nativity what was your instant vibe leading into the marriage counseling scene of this movie honestly my my vibe going into this movie period was like I have no idea what to expect and from the clip you played me last week about the penis sticking out of his ear on a plane and this dream and all stuff I was like I really I have it's no garnish. idea where this is gonna just go don't need it it's just garnish <laughs> of course um so I, I had no idea I had no idea what I was getting into. This had an unmistakable upstate, like Westchester County vibe. So when they said it was Connecticut, yes, very much so. This feels exactly like a, a number of small towns. I knew right away we were in the Northeast just by the opening establishing shots. The the kid looking in the window reminded me of like a Christmas story when they're looking in the department store when, when Ralphie sees the gun for the first time. Yeah. So all of this is like, this is kind of, all right, we're, we're definitely setting up Christmas but then you have the baby Jesus stuff, and then you've got like the weird like house beat Latin music, which which was a thing in the nineties. 
uh, you know, it, it, the early 90s had, you know, Gregorian chant with like mm-hmm. EDM music. You know, it was it was a weird time for music in a lot of ways. It was. What did I say? Uh, yeah. So Christmas Eve and they're doing a marriage counseling session, which, OK, like maybe B.D. Wong doesn't have any family to, I don't to know. go home to. I don't know. It's so strange. Uh, yeah. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Kevin Spacey, the person, because he's problematic in 2021. But he wasn't in 1994. I'm curious how you take him and as Lloyd and Judy Davis, who she's an Australian actress. I think maybe that's why we didn't know her. I think she actually had a uh, most of her career in Australia before. She was in Husbands and Wives with Woody Allen, and that's what that is where I was like, she. I know she was in something else. Not that I saw it, but that I was like, I feel like I know her from some more like offbeat something you know like there was some mm-hmm. vibe about her and so when i was like peeping around on her i was like yeah that's the one i know her from that's the one i remember seeing ads she did not work for me at all like i really wish oh, they had okay. cast someone else like i really felt like she was a, a miscast and i don't say that often on these ones but she stuck out like a sore thumb like everybody else went on to other things or had like a past you know like like glennis johns as rose i mean i was like yay it's totally mrs banks from face. yeah and i mean like everybody else was somebody and 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 judy i mean she just i was like Girl, not no, just not this, not this movie. This wasn't for you. It is odd casting when you look at you have Glennis Johns, you have Kevin Spacey, uh, you have Dennis Leary, who maybe now people aren't like, oh, the guy from Rescue Me from like yeah. post nine eleven, yeah. But but like in 93, 94, like I can't stress enough, like how he was he's everywhere, a big star, he was yeah. a big star. I mean, but then you have Christine Baranski and, and even yeah. J.K. Simmons. This is J.K. Simmons's first role. How yeah. wild is that? It is wild, but I mean, that's what I mean, though. But these were people with actual talent. And, and, and Judy's just like, girl, why are you doing here? <laughs> like, no thanks. But you asked me about Kevin Spacey. The thing that was interesting about Kevin is that I think he can play a, an actually convincing, kind of nerdy, quiet guy who then breaks and becomes this like screaming guy like like he does that very well i mean that's what he ends up doing in american beauty he is Mm -hmm. a very similar character um it's it's like they took this couple and they got the casting right with annette benning and they let him do the same thing but just more intense the end speech that he gives you know uh, he has a couple of lines here that i think he sells really really well uh the the excuse the shit out of me diatribe and and the uh the when he starts smashing the christmas lights and he says the corpse still has the floor (laughs) and he's like excuse me excuse (laughs) that but he does that so well i mean Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of kevin spacey as because a lot of people don't like american beauty and they think it was over oversell yeah i think i think people looking back on it years later well looking back yeah but that's because old kevin is himself is so tarnished even before then i think i think the perviness of the role even before his personal issues were exposed i think the movie didn't age well for for the the intelligentsia but i think a lot of people look at his role in like seven where he's like the serial killer he's like the killer in seven um and he is quiet and menacing and explodes in a very controlled kind of way. He does that very well. He goes from zero to 11 well. And I think you see that a bunch here. You know, he's a guy who's just at the end of his rope, who is not happy with where his life has turned out, just 
can't deal anymore. You know, like he 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 he's just a guy who has allowed himself to be walked on for so long and now is like snapping. Is this a believable couple? Are they reflecting real marriage problems? Because I think that becomes important when you add the heightened pressure of Christmas time. I mean, I think that they're a very specific case. I, I don't think that they're universally believable. Uh, you know, this this couple in New York City and and she's just like so kind of like artsy and whatever. That's a very specific couple that, yes, exists. But then like his mother who has so much money and then basically, you know, allows them to live in this house and and, you know, has him open this antique store like he's running it and they're doing it. like all these things are it, that's a very niche couple you know that's not something that a lot of people are like that's universally felt you know how we all feel like i i don't know i don't know how many couples really can relate to those things i think on a greater scale things like money issues or like lending money or borrowing money from family and then you you are all in the same place at christmas time you know yes that is a universal theme of like the awkwardness of that kind of thing or or feeling like that kind of passive aggressive remarks of the mom those types of things but their actual couple issues uh i mean i guess if you really just look at the tiny little minutiae things uh which is really what dennis leary and as gus ends up doing like the you know are you a liar because you know of this situation did you see the stop sign you know Mm -hmm. do you have cigarettes hidden that kind of stuff those tiny moments yeah i think that the day-to-day bickering is probably relatable but their big setup i don't find very relatable i think i i agree and but i think what's effective about it the little things that they just kind of pile up and it becomes it's a, it's a little bit insidious because you're not really super focused on them little things day by day until until that final straw breaks the back and it all comes together in one giant rolling snowball because it's christmas uh of of shit running downhill where the cigarette thing on any other day, maybe wouldn't have been such a hot point. And her trying to make the feeble defense of I don't smoke in the house anymore. I just I never said that I actually quit. She has a great life. She has a hysterical because this is the Bill Clinton era. Uh, she has the I didn't inhale. Uh, yeah. She says, I, I she don't inhale. Yeah. So funny. Again, kids look She's it like up. Puffs on it. Google Bill Clinton and uh, didn't inhale. But so I think all of those kinds of things, uh, you know, the stop sign, though the stop sign is a dangerous event. All of those little things that in themselves shouldn't be like major blow ups, maybe, or not like earth shattering marriage ending events all take on that heightened thing because you and I talk about this all the time. We're talking about it on heels. Is um is a life lived together? Is a marriage lived together? Only the big events, or is it all of the little things that fill in the space in between? I think the giant dynamic like doesn't work for me. Like I don't get their story. But I think that if you come down one level to the like the medium layer, I guess I want to say where it is kind of like those milestone moments. I appreciated the moment where where finally Lloyd just like debunks all the the crap that she's been saying you know like why they live in this house well because you weren't happy in the new york apartment you weren't unhappy we didn't have enough money to do everything so that's how we ended up in this house like i was glad that they had that moment of sort of like revealing this whole marriage and Mm -hmm. explaining why it splintered and i agree with you like once those big milestones go wrong though then i mean it just gives way to like the the moment by moment bickering of just like everything you know like 
I wouldn't have been taken hostage in the store had you just come in the store, Lloyd. You know, like it was his fault for just sitting in the car and not coming in with her. Like, just all these little things that I, it's, I think it's stair steps. I, felt, I, was, I was thinking of it in my head as like a long fuse that gets lit at that marriage counseling session. And the, the fuse just burns the entire length of the of the hour and 36 minute movie. And it explodes and reaches its boiling point at like hour and 30 minutes, you know, with like <laughs> six minutes left. And they have they have the kind of the big showdown during the present yeah. opening scene. The big come to Jesus. Now, they have a son in this. Did you feel like they needed to even have a kid? No. Me neither. <laughs> no. The no. whole storyline with Jesse was like, okay. like, But I don't think they ever needed to have it. And in fact, it doesn't really make all that much sense for who they seem to be as a couple. Like, he's this like antique shop, you know, whatever manager i guess at this point um and and she's just kind of like this <laughs> that's flaky a, well, guy that's a funny line though that when they're arguing about whether or not he's the manager or owns or it, the so. owner yes yeah. it was funny but like but that whole little thing like it, wouldn't they have made sense as a childless couple honestly that didn't really get christmas and didn't and did a shit job like serving christmas eve dinner and and all that kind of stuff like you know it would have made more sense that she never had a kid that she ever fed ever you know mm-hmm. then how this actually we're supposed to think of them as a family uh, yeah the kid is really just kind of a prop for other people to play off of you know it, it gives them a reason for why they're still together because maybe they would have gotten divorced if not for him earlier and he doesn't even live there like it's just it's not even important yeah right and and it's really uh, again it's a prop to allow them to have a couple of jokes i mean they had the i I'll, i will admit when she says in the counseling session that uh, they're talking about how Jesse, they told him to get an after school job. And so he started an escort service yes. with the football team. That made me laugh. And then when she says, you know, your Satan of a mother could use getting laid by an 18 year old linebacker <laughs> also made me laugh because that's my sense of humor. <laughs> no, no, that was definitely funny. But I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like he was just like this strange add on. And and again, though, I think like the primer for American Beauty, like it was like we need like, you know, like we could take this idea from this movie over here at the ref and like what if we expanded on this family over here you know like it actually kind of works like that well i think jesse jesse is there one i think to fill time right because even with his plot line and the screen time devoted to him which i mean you have him developing the the photos the siskel photos and you have him trying to break free in his room and and all that kind of stuff is really there i think to fill time because even with all that the movie is still only an hour and 36 minutes so you you know a a major theatrical movie that's not an animation has to be over 90 minutes basically uh, for people to go watch it it's another way for us to like Gus even though we shouldn't like Gus because he gives that advice the life advice of you know once you start running you never stop I agree with that. It's a little, you can also lean into like the bad Santa and the boy kind of Mm -hmm. thing where like they have moments and there's some moments of sort of kind of growth that you see out of those situations. The other thing is that, I mean, obviously having a kid, this is the only motivation that keeps Caroline specifically in line that, that Jesse's locked upstairs. And that's, that's the only reason why she continues to go along with anything. Uh, Yes. Though I will admit again, 
drunk Caroline given zero fucks was very refreshing oh, yeah. for me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I like all of that. I, I mean, I, 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 yes, I, I, her her Scandinavian dinner sounds wacky as hell. And there's oh a- god, it looks so gross. But I do have to say because my Christmas Eve dinner is completely Lithuanian traditions based, and it's all food that makes no sense. I mean, we eat prunes, we eat fish, we eat sauerkraut, we eat peas, we have pierogies. This is all. This is these are all mixed together. Like this mm-hmm. is all a meal, and it's it's. Do you a wear very candle strange. wreaths on your head? When they first frame up that shot, when she says you can go light the candles, and then you think you know, you know, oh, okay, it's probably like a like a centerpiece on the table, and then they go to that shot when she's like reading off the traditional stuff, and they all have those wreaths on. I did laugh at that because that was like, you know, Christmas Eve on steroids at my house. <laughs> I, I, this this part, I, this is this is why you have a Baranski in the movie, because she asks the meta question that I mean, people sitting in the movie theater in March are probably asking themselves. And, and it sounds like you were also asking yourself. So let's listen to a little bit of the dinner and why we're celebrating St. Lucia. What you're wearing on your heads are called Lucia wreaths. They're worn in honor of Saint Lucia, a brave and noble woman I admire very much. A woman whose beliefs were so strong, they rendered her inflammable. As the story goes, Lucia was engaged to be married, and instead of giving her dowry to her in-laws, she gave it to the poor people of the village. Her husband-to-be, thinking she was out of her mind, <laughs> betrayed her to the Romans as a Christian, and they condemned her to burn at the stake. But although she was surrounded by flames, she would not burn, and they had to stab her with a sword. My God, is this a Christmas story? I mean, it's a long <laughs> clip, but it's such a great payoff, though, right? Because is this a Christmas story? I, I mean, I, we're not there yet to have that kind of discussion. But oh, I, we I, could I, go uh, there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think before we do, though, because I think we need to talk about Gus, the actual Dennis, not Dennis Leary, but the character of Gus, though, because this is really his story, Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think I think I think a lot of people would take away that this is actually the story of Lloyd and Caroline trying to see if there's something left in their marriage. If you take all the bullshit that that comes from without, is there something left to their marriage within, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously at the end, they they find that there is um, they re- they reject the family and, and all of those pressures and they find there's something still there. But I think this is really Gus's story as the observer as the ref also thinking about his own life and why is he doing what he's doing there's one aspect of this movie that i didn't remember and as a 16 year old i probably didn't pick up on he has a real worker classism struggle angle that is fascinating to me is in this christmas movie is in this comedy movie and in a christmas movie i wonder though if that's if that theme is taken from like christmas carol like the whole you know you don't even know what you have kind of thing we're over here like working our butts off on you know on christmas eve and you're over here you don't even you're you're over here you don't even like work for your money kind of thing and there's a very like ebenezer scrooge and bob cratchit conversation there yes i i think that's right and it's also i get again i think think this is of a time 
right? I think this is of the the feeling of the time. Remember, this is this is after twelve years of Reagan and Bush. This is early in the Clinton presidency. This is a time for people to feel like they were they're out there busting their ass. And what are you doing? You're you're just sitting here and you have a Chagall. I mean, that's the triggering event, right? They have the Chagall hanging on their wall. And that's really what kind of sets him off. One, props to him for knowing who Mark Chagall is. You wouldn't think. Again, he's a sophisticated, he's a complicated criminal. He's not, he's not a Murray. He works with a Murray, but he's, he's more sophisticated than that. He so he understands art and its value, but he's also, you know, I'm a working guy, pal, with a skill. The skill is burglary, but he's very proud of that. It's a, it's actually a very kind of Irish Boston family stereotypical vibe. It's kind of every character he plays, honestly. It is. I mean, it, it absolutely is. Uh, he, he very very working class, very blue collar guy, very proud, very and proud of it. But it was so wild to me that it was because it ran throughout the movie. It wasn't like one line here and one line there. It was really his bent. It almost sets him up that he robs like this lavish house that's got a trap door and a diamond ring with a string on it and and cannibal the dog. It almost feels like in his head, almost like a Robin Hood uh, mission he's on. You almost get the feeling he's a burglar to stick it to rich people as much as to fence the goods and make money himself because he explains, he explains to Jesse, you don't actually wind up with that much money, right? You get, you fence it to the guy offshore, you spend all the cash and then you have to go do another job again. Like he's not doing it because he's going to get rich. He, he knows that he's not going to get rich doing it, but I think there's like a little Robin hood uh, complex in his head. Definitely like sticking it to the man kind of thing for sure. For sure. Uh, by the way, Marc Chagall just passed away in like 1985, and he was born in the 1800s. He was a Russian-French artist of Belarusian Jewish origin. An early modernist, he was associated with several major artistic styles and creative works in a wide range of artistic formats, including painting, drawings, book illustrations, stained glass, stage sets, ceramics, tapestries, and fine art prints. So there's your art corner for this episode. I don't know that we've ever had an art <laughs> corner before, but Mark right, Chagall, real right. guy, and Gus knows it. It's so um, funny that you keep saying he's a real guy. Well, I mean, uh, well, he's well known. Uh, Chagalls are well known. I had never. I, I see, but I am an art dum dum. Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with Mark Chagall, so I actually no. had to go look. I had to look. I had to go look him up. Yeah, no, I, okay. I, no, I, I never really progressed beyond finger painting, and that is really the extent of. <laughs> I know Starry Sky, I know Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. and I, I know stuff Tom has done that hangs on my refrigerator. That's like the extent <laughs> of my, my art. I appreciated so much, though, that like it just they were just such a spoiled, ungrateful couple. You know, that was the main thing is that they just they took for granted having a Chagall on the wall. Like, right. you know, she was just being snotty, you know, like, do you just want it? Like, I don't even care about it. I don't know what I feel about all their interactions. Like, I don't think that they were necessarily more grateful or learned anything from hanging out with him for the evening from the standpoint of, like, you know, appreciating what they have. I think that they they did kind of take more of a stand of course once it was like he played truly the ref because I mean, that's the role, right. That we Mm -hmm. have to keep coming back to is that he was the neutral party who could point out like, no, your mom's a bitch, you know? And like what she's saying is out of line and she shouldn't be treating your wife like that. I know loan sharks that are more forgiving in you made me laugh out loud. 
Okay, like it's like he set them back on on a track that was like with before they made the choice to like move into the mother's house and sort of get under her thumb more. He provides the bubble for them to strip away and not let get to them all of the external stuff that would have always just kept reinforcing all of their things. I think him being there and the fact that he had to literally keep them in sight the entire time, he never lets them he never lets them be away from each other. He is literally pro- providing a bubble for them just to kind of reconnect to each other. And I think that's what they learn at the end of the movie is mm. that when they when you remove all of the external things and we can t- actually talk to each other, not talk at each other or not talk at all, there's still something here. There, there's a reason why we got together originally. We've just lost that thread because of trying to keep up with the Joneses in New York City, which makes running the Italian restaurant not worth it because we never have enough money or living under your mother's thumb. She charges them rent for the house they live in. When yeah. she says the comment about, we'll see what the interest rates do next year. Uh, 18%. God. Yeah. yeah well, people, for, people also forget how high interest rates were in the 80s. The 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. The mom is set up, Mama Shissa, is set up as such a bitch. You can't help but wait for these guys to realize, be on the same side together against this woman. She is horrible. Beyond calling it down the middle, Lloyd, you're, you're, you're a shitty liar sometimes and, and a bad person. And Caroline, you're a shitty person and a liar sometimes. Because they need to hear that. Uh, but also, again, I think that bubble allows them to see each other again for the first time without all the external stuff that would normally cloud, uh, put you know would allow, would normally put up that wall between them. So that was my so, takeaway. So getting into this like Christmas idea, and if this is a Christmas movie, then that it like some of our conversation is making me think about you know some of our Christmas themes, and like I'm wondering, could we count? The fact that that this couple seemingly completely doomed, you know, based with these like horrible dreams at the beginning of the whole story and and just their bickering and how just incessant they are with one another. Is it almost like a Christmas miracle that they managed to like get out from under the mom's thumb and they managed to reconnect with one another and including their son because it seemed like he was like far outside and he was a lost lost little soul here. Seems like the three of them reconnected. Is, is this considered hope? Is this considered the magic of Christmas? I think if you take the role of Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life being the trigger for him to learn the life is worth living. It is a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. I think Dennis Leary is the Clarence of this movie for Caroline and Lloyd. Well, and if if you're unsure about the movie reference on that portion, I mean, of course, this is the movie that they were watching in the police department. And this is also then it gets miraculously like taped over and, you know, just an accidental happening, giving him more of a chance to get away. I I think that if if you're watching and you're thinking like, I don't know, you guys, why would you start pointing at George Bailey? Maybe, maybe they're really hinting at this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of all the Christmas movies you can reference, yes, it's not of it's not far fetched that they're gonna pick It's a Wonderful Life. It's regularly considered one of the best movies ever. But there is that kind of sort of role there, right? Someone comes into our life because you didn't come in the store with me, Lloyd, that is going to 
affect how I see my life going forward. Him, Lloyd, not going into the store and and Gus holding Caroline up, you know, by the freezer section is the parallel to Clarence jumping in the river and George Bailey jumping in the river to save him right at the point when he is about to commit suicide himself. Hey, just a side note on that. Was Lloyd wrong to not go into the store? I don't know. I mean, sometimes you go in the store, sometimes you don't. It all depends. I mean, I would always go in the store because I, I mean, that's just who I am. But I don't, I don't think it's the indictment that Caroline makes it that he didn't go into the store. Well, because she's trying to, but she's trying to clarify, like, would you have taken a couple hostage and blah, oh, blah, right. blah. Like, and he admits that he admits that he wouldn't have, for sure. Right. And so then the kind of the concept of like, and, and a little, and, and this is, this is part of a wonderful life. Like George Bailey does abandon his wife to yeah. like handle everything with the kids and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So there is a little uh, bit more of a connection there. Uh, yeah, well, there's a selfish motive. Well, it's a definitely a selfish motivation that when you look back on it, you realize a bad thing resulted from there. And now mm-hmm. if I have a chance to do it over again, Lloyd doesn't go in the store and this parallel path or universe opens up for them where Gus takes them hostage and, and keeps them at gunpoint, keeps their child at gunpoint. That's averted if he goes in the store with them. If George doesn't go to kill himself then his wife isn't abandoned. Uh, Mary doesn't like become a spinster in the library. You know, right. all of those things don't happen. Uh, the guy who's the guy who drinks himself to death at the bar. Like there's, it's just a multitude of horrors that come out of George Bailey's suicide. If if I've been better off if I'd never been born, you know. And so um, by the end of the movie, though, they're sitting on the steps. They've decided to help Gus escape. They they have chosen each other over their family, uh, the the negative forces of their family. So they've learned that I want to live. I want to live. Like they realize that all. And to be fair, though, at the end of the day, it did turn out to be that the mom was really, like I said, like the Ebenezer Scrooge of the whole situation, not the whole family. They didn't need to walk away from everyone else. Christine Baranski and, and old Gary, they they come around as like, yeah, as like pretty normal family members in the end. It's just like everyone's just like acting shitty in response to. Right. The mom. But the can we part. all relate to that, though? I know oh, I can. Yes. Brings the, out the worst in you. It brings out the worst of you. I mean, we, ha- we haven't even talked about Connie's concept of the spirit of Christmas. When oh, my God. Uh, I wrote it down. Like, as soon as she said it, I was like, I got on my phone. I was like, like typing it in because I was like, oh, my God, that is so harsh. How do they do this to people on Christmas Eve? Well, there is a criminal at large, and they can't stop for the holidays. Maybe they'll catch him and then let him go in the spirit of Christmas. That is not the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas is either you're good, or you're punished, and you burn in hell. (laughs) Who would catch a criminal and then let him go free? Republicans? That again, is so again, 1984. It Good is. <laughs> but it is. That's the time, though. I mean, I mentioned yeah. it already in the other context of the working class and, and the yes. rich. And the rich were the Republicans, and they had ruined our country for 12 years by a certain, you know, was a, was a common view of, of Democrats and the Bill Clinton fans. And, and it, it was. And so you hear that there, too. The daughter is very much of a time, you know, someone who's going to say that in 1994. So, but yeah, the, you know, you're either good or you are bad and burned in hell. I, when she said the Christmas spirit is, I was like, 
And I'm like waiting. And then when she, when she actually manages to say burn in hell, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, this is just someone who has lost the thread of Christmas here. Right. But I, yeah, yes, for sure. And, and, and Connie and Gary are interesting. I mean, Gary's basically a cuck this whole movie until uh, he kind of finally stands up to Connie and he finally kind of stands up to his mom. Um, and you know what? Oh, that's all Connie was looking for. You could tell on her face when he finally kind of stands up to her and like puts his foot down. Eh, she's she's kind of into it. I, I mean, I think she's kind of been looking for that Gary to emerge. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think at the end of the movie, even they're kind of transformed. I think the kids in this are hysterical. Got Connie and Gary's kids, the glee with which they, they tie up their family with the tape. Oh, my God. But that was so silly. It was like that silly ribbon. Every single thing that was used was bad idea. Like the, yeah. the sheets, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Easily untied. Bungee cords, come on. They're stretchy. Like, this is silly. But yeah, every single thing that was used, I was like, really? I've used that ribbon before, that specific type of velvet ribbon. It it's is like it's, very hard to tie. Yes, it's very hard to tie. And it, yeah, no. Yeah. It was just like, oh, God, this is a terrible thing to try to tie. Are we going there? Was this a Christmas miracle? That they all kind of get out from under this or what? Well, I think this is a Christmas movie. So I, I so I think this is a Christmas movie for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's that very specific kind of Christmas movie that speaks to the negative aspects of Christmas. The, the anti-Christmas story that is so much reveling in the joy of childhood at Christmas time. This is the negative experience of Christmas that being an adult with family represents for so many people it's the same kind of concept in as from a bad mom's christmas but with you know not as easily digestible humor you know so it's a very bitter sarcastic dark take on the christmas family experience uh so i think it's a christmas movie from that way because i think it's i think it's speaking to a very relatable experience that even 20 and 21 Everyone or most people still can identify with some way that that heightened anxiety where everything becomes so much worse because it's Christmas time, because your family's there, because of the stress of of being in a room with people that you don't want to spend too, too much time with. I mean, just the idea of present buying, like he has to give her a check in an envelope. That's a that's an appropriate present for the mom uh, for for Mama Sharus. And she buys husky boxer brief <laughs> not even a pack and uh what does she get for the daughter she gets um that horrible sweater oh that's right the the the, the psychotic dog sweater yeah wh- which is wearing pearls by the way which made me laugh because it's like <laughs> it's like mama charus as a dog on the sweater right but then when she's like she's like what she she when she yells at christine baranski and she's like who do you think you are and she's like slipper socks medium <laughs> but yeah and she's claimed it for us super funny I keep saying Sharus, by the way. It's Shasur. I know in my brain, Sharus keeps coming out, but it, the family name is Shasur, which is a running yeah, they joke. They actually the correct it very, I, They very correct often. it several times. It's 18th century French, <laughs> yeah. uh, which translates to hunter, actually, which is interesting. Oh, nice. It's not necessarily about Christmas snow and that kind of magic that we get in Frosty or the joy of being a kid that you get in Christmas story. But I think it's about, I think it's about family, the very very uh hit the ground very usable uh christmas relatable christmas story but i think there is also this allegory you know it's a wonderful like-esque 
story of this guy, Gus, comes to his family and transforms them on the eve of Christmas. It probably wouldn't have happened if it not for Christmas because the family wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have had a Certainly height. the kid wouldn't have been there. Yeah, everything everything that made it heightened, right? Because it was just the two of them in the house. There's so much less pressure. You add family showing up. You add the, the Scandinavian dinner. You add the sex the blackmailing. The sex blackmailing kid, drunk George, which we have to talk about after we have the Christmas discussion because there's so many good clips of him. All of that makes it heightened in a way that it wouldn't be if it was any other time of the year. So it makes Gus, as the ref, this Clarence-like magical person who comes and transforms them. These are transformed people at the end of this movie over the course of this one chaotic night in Connecticut. So for all of that, I think it is... Not a traditional Christmas movie, but I think it is definitely a Christmas movie. I will agree with you after our discussion. I was having a hard time when I was watching it being like, well, you know, could this be set at a different time of year? Could, again, we kind of said this about other movies, like, could this have been a family reunion? Could they have been getting together for a graduation? You know, maybe the, maybe the boy was going to be graduating and so people were coming together. Like, I was trying to, you know, think it out the way we normally do. And I do think that there's some themes of of hope and again, like family finding one another again and sort of like, you know, the salve of 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 an this outsider coming in and somehow, you know, opening their eyes to their family and what they have. And especially, I mean, if you just take that tiny moment between Gus and Jesse and be like, he was able to get through to him because he was the ref. He was this neutral party who could point out to him like, no, this isn't the right way. Don't run away from your family. You know, all this. I do think that there's something that's very guardian angel E and, and I think, I think of a feeling of hope, like you can get out from under crappy family members, you know, because it's the magic of Christmas, you know, like there's something there. But you're right. Not traditional, not like Christmas trees and and Santa's in the traditional sense. Instead, we're like smashing it with a fire poker and it's a drunk Santa peeing on your bushes. Although the more that we watch these, I swear it's it's more stereotypical that the Santa's peeing on your bushes. Santa is often drunk and or an alcoholic in our Christmas movies. Oh, that is uh, like mostly even is. in A Miracle on 34th Street which has yeah. the purest Santa. He <laughs> yeah. only comes he comes into the picture because he has to he has to scold. He replaces the the drunk Santa who was passed out at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And that's such a commonality among Santas that a movie that is so wholesome it's just an accepted concept. Like, yeah, that premise works that that man would have been drunk. Of course, he's Santa. He's drunk. You know, like, it's completely okay. Now, you have often, I, I think your childhood, and correct me if I'm wrong, your childhood, but even your adulthood, you have always lived in very neighborhoody-esque places. I'm curious if you have ever known uh, a fruitcake wielding Margaret Margaret's fruitcake list wielding Santa George who goes house to house gets drunk and belligerent over the course of a night. Is this is this a person in your life? <laughs> I don't know the drunk part that I'm aware that I'm aware. Now, if I was a kid and there was that Santa coming around, I probably wouldn't have realized what was happening. Surely we do exchange like neighbor gifts and we do 100% have the people who come to the door and they're like, oh, Oh, hi, you know, I live in the cul-de-sac and they give us a plate of things. And 
I'm gonna be honest with you, Mike. Oh, about fifty percent of the time, it goes directly in the trash. Oh, for sure. Like, fruitcake is disgusting. I have no idea. No, it's not even fruitcake, but I just have no idea. It's like got saran wrap on it, and mm. I'm like, no, thank you, no, thank you. I know. I'll <laughs> like, eat it if it smells good. I roll the dice. I, I know that sounds like so super weird, but I think I've had too many of those fruitcake experiences where sure. I'm like, yay, and I bite into it. I'm like, this tastes terrible. Why hey, did I we, put it in my mouth? We grew up in the age where you could you had to check your apples for razor blades. Like, that was a thing, kids. That happened during our time, yeah. We, we started off in an age where that wasn't a thing, and then we we, we had to come into that part, huh? Because we're not allowed to have anything nice. So exactly. I want to play a couple of George clips, and then I want to talk about his drunk tirade about fruitcake so this is the evolution of santa george over the course of the night and i gotta tell you i'm playing it mostly because it makes me laugh hysterically every scene every time and santa would like to toast you all for answering the call of duty on the holiest of nights everyone grab a glass you too grab a glass come on come on grab a glass everyone come on santa doesn't drink champagne santa drinks milk Santa can't drink any more milk tonight. Santa has a lactose intolerance. It gives him horrible gas pains. You want to see Santa farting down everyone's chimney? <laughs> Merry Christmas. Hysterical. Hysterical. Because, because the way the scene turns when they do that, doom, that like string note hits <laughs> when he wields on the, on the know-it-all kid and his lactose pushing ways. I 100% laughed at the, do you want Santa farting down everyone's chimneys? That That's a good one. And then he, because he, he's not completely blitzed at that point. He still stands up and goes, ho, 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 ho. And then he takes a leak in their bushes right outside their house. And it's like they had to like go the extra uh, lengths there and actually put like steam coming out of it. I remarked to Tom, I turned to him, I said, look at the steam coming off of that. That's authentic. But when he staggers in to the to Caroline and Lloyd's house, the chasseur's house, and he goes off about the fruitcake and then the gun, and then he takes a run at uh, at, at Gus, just everything here. <laughs> when he says, when he says, you want to have a go at me? I'm Santa Claus. And then he runs at him. Just thinking about it is making me laugh. Let's listen to this clip. You know something? Why, Caroline? Every year we give you a fruitcake for Christmas and you don't give us a goddamn thing. My wife thinks it's because you... Hey, you had a gun, didn't you? Yes, you did. You did. You had a gun. I saw it. Hey, you're the guy. You're the guy, aren't you? Okay, Carl. Just... Huh? What, you pulling a gun on me? I'm not afraid of you. Just calm down, all right? You think you can take me? I'm Santa Claus. Ah! Oh! <laughs> Great. I just beat up Santa Claus. Oh, Bill Raymond playing George there. Uh, just the, <laughs> you pull a gun on me, you can take a run at me, I'm Santa Claus. It just makes me laugh every time. I watched that scene definitely no less than five times. Uh, just, I kept running it back and running it back. It just made me laugh every time. But I was curious, though. I mean, I was laughing about it, but I was curious about this concept of we give you a fruitcake every goddamn year and you give us nothing. 
We've talked about this kind of transactional relationship at Christmas time. I feel like a couple of times over the course of this podcast. Again, surprising. This is like a really soberish kind of moment because I think we all know these people, right? Is it Christmas with the cranks? This idea of look what I did for you. I didn't ask you to do anything for me, but you're taking this position of look what I did for you and you're you're thankless for it. Well, do do the Chasseurs owe George and Margaret a goddamn thing for their unsolicited fucking fruitcake? I don't think so. But this is such a pervasive opinion, isn't it? I mean, again, this is people we all know. Yeah, definitely Christmas with the Cranks is the one that really pushed home the concept of uh, the peer pressure of Christmas, the neighborhood pressure, like everybody's doing it. So you have to do it. You know, all that. I mean, that definitely was was sold with George here. Now, here's the thing, though, Mike. I mean, if someone does give you a present every Christmas, are you kind of shitty to not give something back? I don't think so. I, I no. don't. No, I don't. I but I but I don't know my neighbors' names. I don't feel beholden to that though. Okay, but you know what? That might also come from like a city kid suburbanite. Maybe you don't know your neighbors, you know, names in the city, but you do know your neighbors' names in the you know, in the suburbs. Here's the thing. If I felt that George and Margaret were giving me a fruitcake out of the kindness of their hearts that it was genuinely given versus just look what I did. Look what we do. Poor Margaret is fucking baking fruitcakes for starting at Thanksgiving to give them out because look who we are. We're better than you, which is totally the George Santa George vibe in this movie is it's all transactional. It's all I'm not doing this because I'm a good person. I'm doing this because this makes me a better person than you. That's why I don't feel a need that they need to give them a goddamn thing. See, and I would go from the standpoint of if you have an entire bag and my name's not even written on it, then no, you just made like a hundred fruitcakes and you just walked down the street. You, you're not, you didn't make this for me. You just made a bunch and you're just giving them out. The kind of people who go house to house to house getting drunker and drunker and drunker and piss in your yard. Like, eh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel a need to compete with George in mannerly neighborliness. When your house is on fire, I will run my hose over to you. I don't need to, I don't feel a need to get you a fruitcake because you got me one or do a goddamn thing about your, your gross fruitcake that I didn't ask for. So it's all about the intent given. That, that I agree. I guess, that's, Which is every it. present, right? Honestly. Right. I mean, right. what's the intent behind it? And, and we're coming from two different directions. Like I'm saying the generic nature of it, the like bag of, crap that you're just you don't even put anyone's name on or anything you don't even care who it goes to then then yeah i say it's so generic how are you asking people to reciprocate and you're coming from like the i didn't ask for this and we're not actually friends but well, we no, get no, to no. the same place yeah it's it, it's actually no i agree more with you it's not it's not that i didn't ask for i mean people give presents all the time that aren't asked for and that doesn't negate the need to reciprocate them it's the intent with which they're given mm. you carry around blank cards in order to respond to things done not because it's going to make you feel like you're a superior person you're doing it because of uh, uh, from an intent of kindness and and trying to bring kindness into the world right trying to generate yes. good karma 
Margaret and George are giving out fruitcakes, not because of the chasseurs. I'm sure there's no name on there. You're 100% right. It's 100 nameless fruitcakes. You fruit can cakes. see because it's just like a brown yeah. box. You get but, but yeah, because it's coming from an intent of we do this because we're the best people on the block. We make the fruitcakes. It has nothing to do with I, I, I made this fruitcake with you because you said to me at a party one time years ago, you love fruitcake. And so I've, I have made this like thing for you. Uh, because I know it means something to you because I know you like this thing. That's not why George and Margaret are doing it. They're doing it because they want, they want popularity points. They want to be able to say that they're the mayor of the block. They're the Dan Aykroyd of, right. of, of the cranks block, right? It's, it's right. the status of being the family that always gives everyone in the neighborhood the fruitcakes. Even when like the cop car later, you know, passes Gus, who's wearing the Santa suit and they're just like, go home, George. Like, it's like, he's not, he's not even like respected necessarily. He's just out there doing it. You know, gifts should be given from the intent of, uh, I thought this would make you happy. Of course. Hey, Mike, are you ready for some fast facts? I am ready for some fast facts, for sure. So this movie is called Hostile Hostages in the United Kingdom. I think that's hilarious. I think that's hilarious, too. And also, as as good a title as The Ref. Focusing on a different angle, though, right? So whereas mm-hmm. our the American title focuses on Gus's role in the story, Hostile Hostages really puts the focus on the Caroline and Lloyd story, you know, aspect of the story. You know, you mentioned, we, we talked about how Jesse is really just a device here for a couple of reasons, one of which is so that Gus can come off as a good guy insofar as, you know, advising him, don't start running now because you'll never be able to stop the original ending for the movie caroline was gus turning himself into the police to show jesse that a life of crime leads nowhere quickly it tested so poorly uh with the test audiences that they screened the film for that in january just two months before this movie comes out january 1994 they rewrite the ending that we have in this movie and they film that and put that in instead where he gets away with it where jesse and and lloyd and caroline aid him and and allow him to escape that was that was a total rewrite solely based on the immense negative backlash from audiences that didn't want to see Gus get turned into the police for this poppycock reason. The interesting thing, though, is that later on, Ted Demi said he regrets changing the ending. He actually he said that if he had to do it again, he would have left it as it originally was. What's your take on that? Which ending do you like better? Well, I think that I think that there's it gives the chance to Caroline and Lloyd to be like the forgiveness people and to like show like the spirit of Christmas, you know, and basically that's like foreshadowed, you know, in the car when the little girl says, well, maybe because it's Christmas, they'll let him go, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think that it fits that they do let him go. Her idea of Christmas spirit turned out to be more re- uh, prevalent than uh, Connie's. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Connie's I've never heard before. <laughs> I was like, that. that is no one's definition of Christmas spirit. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, so it appeared on the Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best movies you've never seen in the July 16th, 2012 issue. Uh, yeah, I think this movie is hysterical. Uh, this movie made me laugh as much now as it did back in 
28 years ago. Uh, yeah. And I know, I know so few people that have seen it. I mean, I knew you hadn't seen this movie before when I was compiling this list. This came to me as I think of this as a Christmas movie. I didn't remember much beyond that, though, as I watched it, some stuff came back to me. But I remember laughing a lot and I remember liking it a lot. And I remember it being Christmas related. Yeah. So I, I think this is a movie everyone should see. If if you're into the uh, Harold and Kumar Christmas, a bad mom's Christmas, a bad, uh, bad Santa movie, I think this is right in that same kind of wheelhouse. But I think it's a more effective Christmas movie than all of those. Save it for your Jingle Bells rating, sir. In the year 2000, the American Film Institute, the AFI, they included Ref in its list of 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest movies ever, American movies ever. Good Lord. (laughs) That's very, very funny. When Dennis Leary shoots the smoke detector to stop it from beeping, it's the only time he fires his gun in the entire film. Now, you know... I had said earlier, I was actually missing the biting humor of Dennis Leary. I do think that they could have ratcheted up his responses to the couple, even to the whole family, most especially the grandmother, um, and and let Dennis Leary be more Dennis Leary. Mm. Because I think it would have been so much funnier. There was a point when he goes to lunge. I know it's the whole line, and if you can, you can. I don't. Do you have the excerpt of the? Of the, I, the I don't. I, I didn't. I I started to record it, and I was like, it's it's too much. I didn't know how we would work it in, but that it's funny. Whole though. penis rant and everything. When when he goes to lunge at her, and it turns out to be Lloyd who like holds him back. That didn't work for me at all. Like the whole this whole stitch needed to maintain some amount of power with Gus for me that I would have rathered him go full Dennis Leary biting comments not that he was going to physically go after this woman and needed to be restrained like just just lay into her verbally like Dennis Leary can I see that worked for me because it shows it reveals the end before we get to the end it's turned they're not hostages anymore. It's Gus and Lloyd and Caroline versus Mama Shasor and everyone else. The, it, the, the dynamic had shifted that by that point. They're changed. They just don't realize it at that point. I, I, I'll agree with you, but I, but don't you agree that they missed opportunities for Dennis Leary to be Dennis for Leary? Sure, for sure. And that is one where she has such a lengthy rant mm-hmm. that he should have met her word for word in a verbal rant that only Dennis Leary can do. Right. Not have him lunge right. at her. Right, like, right. Because they eh. give they give Lloyd the great line of the comeback where he ends yeah. it with, you know, put a gag in your, you know, tie up your grandmother and gag her. You know, so he actually gets the funny button on there. Yeah, they, they do neuter him there uh, a bit because he only gets the line off. If I could, I'd tie you to the back of a fucking truck. And then she goes, you don't have the balls. But then he gets the line. I mean, he has the, he has, it's a funny line. He has the line of, you know, I moms are supposed to be nice and caring and loving i know i've known loan loan sharks that are more forgiving than you he just can't believe how what a bitch this woman is as the movie goes on and caroline and lloyd become more accomplices and less hostages with him they ratchet up and especially lloyd ratchets up his spine his spine solidifies as dennis leary actually gets more and more a little bit defanged 
right? It's yeah, it's a yeah, transfers, you know, because I, I mean, it it's, just it just is a bummer though from the standpoint of Dennis Leary and what he brings to the for table. Sure. Like when you don't have him give a full on rant until the last scene of the movie. There's something wrong with that. Right. Well, they have glimpses of it, right? When he when he's trying to get a hold of Murray in the bar and the bartender's like, I don't think there's a Murray around here. And he's like, see if there's like a, a piece of shit wasted, wasted space named Murray in the bar. And yeah. then Murray's like, Gussie. <laughs> like he knows it's him kind of thing. Like that's kind of classic. The silliest little nickname. <laughs> so funny. So funny. You know what? It was a weird name and it kept it kept making me cock my head because I've never heard it. Carrie for Caroline. Oh, occasionally my dad calls me that. I've never, I mean, I never even thought about that actually as an abbreviation, but Kevin Spacey uses it twice. What do you think Carrie is a nickname for? I never really thought about it. I think, I always think Carrie was a name. I don't think I ever really thought of it as a shortened name, I guess. I feel like there's few names that are like with an IE kind of, or like an I like that. That's not a nickname. Totally, totally fair. I've just never, I've just never yeah. heard it. You it's know, very few. I mean, I don't, I don't get that very often. And it's, no. my dad will do it every once in a while. And it's certainly not a name that I like respond to. Caroline's one of those few names that I feel like, even though it's a long name, mm-hmm. I don't have like a nickname. You know, no, because the natural shortening of it is Carol, and Carol is its own standalone name mm, that mm, does mm. not capture the spirit of Caroline in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So my oldest sister, her name is Tony, and and her whole life people would say, "Oh, short for Antoinette," and she would, say, "No, no, it's just Tony." Like birth certificate, it's T O N I, which which See, is kind unusual. of it is. It's like the case. So I think maybe that I had as a frame of reference, I never really looked into Carrie that much. Like Carrie Fisher, would be like, "It's Carrie." I don't know. It was Carrie Fisher's mm-hmm. real name, Carol? I have no idea. It blew my mind. I never thought about it before. That's so, funny. Yeah, That's very funny. A little, little shortened in nicknames. Do you have any <clears> last? Do <throat> you have a last trivia you'd like to give me? Mm-hmm. This is your last one. It's my last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, actually, there is a good one because it kind of explains the sheep meekness of Lloyd at the beginning of this movie. At the end of the film, Lloyd and Caroline, they're talking to the police in their foyer, right? And they're doing that, they're stalling for time uh, banter. There are several close-ups of Lloyd's Lloyd's wristwatch, which appear to contain the Traveler's Insurance umbrella logo. There's something about a guy who wears a Traveler's Insurance wristwatch. (laughs) A hundred percent. It's like the whoever has the, you know, remember, do you remember when Sports Illustrated used to give you the football phone? Hell yeah! (laughs) It's like it's like the person who has that not like in a kid's room but like in their living room it's like and he also has the traveler's insurance watch like these are like giveaway kind of things or like maybe even something you earned but it's like snoopy metlife apron that he barbecues in yes yes which is like so funny because it speaks to the fact that they're trying to look wealthy but they're not everything is everything i mean it's so funny that they run he runs his mother's antique store because she's such an antique herself but it's also like <laughs> like everything in their life is leveraged. Everything in their life is hocked, right? They don't own the home they're in, and it's not even a mortgage, right? It's a rent. They rent from his mother. That's a big house to rent from his mother. Like everything is borrowed. It's terrible. There's nothing genuinely. They'd, and theirs. the furniture is all from the store. Yeah. So it's like nothing is there. I do have nothing. to point out everything is on I, consignment. Their entire life is on consignment. That was the line I was trying to think of. I totally give so much credit to the set decorator mm-hmm. because when he he lays the groundwork early on when he says everything in the house is from the antique store, and then when the smoke detector is going off and 
and Gus grabs the chair uh-huh. and and goes to step on it. But of course, it's an antique, so he goes right through the chair. I thought that was so freaking hilarious because there, I know so many people have antiques in their house who will say like, "Oh, we you don't sit on that chair, like it's an antique, like you can't actually sit on that chair." Oh, and it's like, no, yeah. of course, they'd have that in their house uh, for sure. I've put my butt through the rattan of that chair oh, before. No. Uh, because my my ex mother in law, God rest her soul, furnished her house with the local antique stores. So there were always when he pulls that chair out, I saw it. I was like, I've sat in that chair before. I've yeah, broken. I, feel like I have too. I've broken that chair before. So when he goes to put his foot, I was like, I know what's going to happen here. And it's not because I remembered seeing it in 1994. It's because I've lived that experience that he was about to do. <laughs> that was just excellent. And you know, for for those of you who don't know, we have a podcast with Beth Kushnick, who is a set decorator decorating the set from Hollywood to your home. And we talk so much about serving the script. The set decorator for that did such a good job of serving the script that where there's like this, this like forewarning, like everything in this house is an antique. And then you go to stand on something and it breaks. You're like, oh, this is so good. So, so good. That's uh, excellent. Excellent decorating. All right, Mike, are you ready to start noodling on your Jingle Bell ratings? I am. And while we noodle, I'm going to play a clip, if you're ready, for next week's movie, which is pretty different from the rough. Are you ready? I am. Soldier, get off your baubles. What happened to peace and goodwill to all men, Sarge? It don't say nothing about our soldier. S1 holds from altitude. This is Germany, father. Drive on the right. National dish, sausage. Okay, let's show them, people. Operation Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, you, get off your baubles. <laughs> I don't know this movie. It sounds chaotic. It definitely sounds North pole but I don't know what this is. It is 2011's Arthur Christmas. Okay. A modern that animated been classic. been on in my house, but I definitely have not watched it. So, I okay. have never seen it before. It will be my first viewing. And you know, I've seen a lot of these animated movies. And uh, I, this is not one that I am aware of. I've never seen it. It looks insane. So. <laughs> well, okay. I look forward to it. All right, Mike. I know you went first last week, so I'm up. I am going to give this movie, as a Christmas movie, I feel like I want to give it a 7.5. And I say that because I feel like it could have been at another time of year. It, it. I don't think that Christmas is necessarily the thing. I do think it plays in when you bring in things like... It's a Wonderful Life and 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 having our whole theme that we're going with. But I think it could have been just as well that this was happening at Thanksgiving and that this would have been a time when you would have gotten together and it would have made just as much sense to me um, to have things like, you know, the, the even the neighbors dropping by stuff, whatever. Any of that could have still worked for me at another time. So for me specifically, and you had said there was another movie when you said, this feels like a movie I'd love to watch after eating Thanksgiving dinner and I'd like, like love to sit down and like watch this. That's what this was one felt like for me i would watch it on thanksgiving day or over that like thanksgiving christmas when this thanksgiving like a weekend when everybody else is like watching football and stuff like that i could see watching this one and kind of like chuckling to myself before i was like actually in the christmas season i agree with a lot of that and actually i'm giving it a 7.52 wow i totally thought you were gonna 
you are going to be shocked and appalled at my 7.5. No, no, I think that's right because I was I was going to go 8 originally uh, when I was first thinking about it while we were listening to Arthur Christmas. I think this is a Christmas movie, but that's not really why I like it. Like I I'm I'm putting I've spent the last hour and 23 minutes throwing up reasons why it's a Christmas movie, but I could watch this movie any time of the year and uh, not be focused on the Christmas aspect of it. Now, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I think there is something very specific about the stress, modern stress of Christmas time that this movie doesn't work as well as any other time of the year. See, but I no, I, but I think Thanksgiving it works. I think if you had these people coming for Thanksgiving meal and then she served yeah, this maybe. this nonsense food with the wreaths and the everything, you could have still pulled all of that off. That's true. That's true. And and even Santa Claus is around starting after Thanksgiving. True, but you, you know, do so ha- right. You could have had something happening. I, I, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. Thanksgiving is a stressful family time. I think the pivotal scene of this movie is the forced opening of presents, and it's not oh, midnight, yes. and is yes. so it, it is over the opening that of presents. Important. It is over the opening of presents that it all comes ahead. That slow fuse that we said get lit. That I said got lit in uh, Doctor Wong's office. <laughs> it explodes. It explodes at opening presents. I mean, we didn't even talk about this, but uh, this is a clean take for all of you to download this sound, uh, this sound snap for yourself and uh, use it whenever you need to. Is it possible for you to shut the fuck up for 10 seconds? Did you get it? Did you all get it? Because <laughs> I'll e- email one. me, email me, admin at Popcultural Review. I'll email you that audio file so you could just use it as a ringtone. Oh we all God. need, can you possibly <laughs> shut the fuck up for 10 seconds <laughs> in our life? So, And, and you know what, Mike? We're going to shut the fuck up and say, this is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. If you wouldn't mind going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast and all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts. There's so many of them. Uh, we would appreciate it. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review while you're there, that would be fantastic because you know what? We give you a fucking fruitcake every year and we don't ask for anything in return except for a five-star review. And for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.